Hey, um, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, we are finishing a series of sermons, a long series we've been in on the um, uh, book of Romans. And um, today we're come to the end. And for me personally, this has been a, a wonderful series, um, just diving into Paul's words. Um, my computer died. But today we conclude. Next week I'm going to start a new series of sermons looking at um, the parables. And that's going to be a really long series, but I, I chose that because I think it's a nice bookend or complement to all that we've studied in Romans, looking at the stories of Jesus. Uh, and we're going to do that all fall, actually. Um, this does, I know it doesn't feel like fall right now, but um, we're going to be here, be there till uh, Thanksgiving. So today I want to read from Romans 16. I'm going to read verses 1 through 16. Paul said, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Tentria, so that you may welcome her in the Lord as is fitting for the saints. Help her in whatever she may require from you, for she has been a benefactor of many and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila who work with me in Christ Jesus and who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinatus, who was the first convert in Asia for Christ. Greet Mary, who has worked very hard among you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my relatives who are in prison with me. They are prominent among the apostles, and they are were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampelitus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my relative, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trepinia and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and greet his mother, a mother to me also. Greet Ascretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers and sisters who are with them. Greet Pelagius. Julia, Nares, and his sister Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Somebody asked me in the, after last service how, long, how many times I practiced reading all of those names, and I said, no, 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 I didn't practice. The key is reading them fast and with confidence. That's the key. <laughs> I learned that early on. I mean, just you know, act like you know what you're doing, and because uh, <laughs> hey, in our world today, um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but isn't is there not a lot of talk about equality, equity, inclusion, and diversity and belonging? Right? I mean, it's hard to go ten minutes without hearing the word diversity or inclusion, equity. I mean, seems to be such a huge topic. Such should be, it, it, these are things that we argue about, I mean, vehemently in our culture. Debate about what these words mean, about what the concepts mean. And yet, in many ways, with all this debate and all this conversation, it, does it not, does it feel like we've made progress? <laughs> I don't, it doesn't feel like, it feels like we're more divided than, than ever. I mean, maybe it's just a lot of words. Maybe it's just talk. Maybe we need to listen to what Paul's saying to us today. Let's pray. Um, Father, we're grateful for these words. These are your words. Um, they're eternal. They, they don't change. 
And so we pray your spirit would be our teacher and guide us in these moments. Amen. Now, Romans 16 is often a chapter in the Bible that we skip over. It's often a chapter we skip over in our preaching or in our Bible studies, our devotion reading, because at first glance, it appears to be just a grocery list of names that we think maybe it's unimportant. This is just Paul's kind of wrap up, his final guy greetings to everybody. But if we really look close at what's going on here, Paul is, is actually showing us what his theology was teaching us. He's giving us a wonderful example of the outworking of what he said about our relationship to God in Christ. All the journey that we've had and been in this book of Romans, now we look at him saying, greet, 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 greet these people, greet all these people. But we really need to peer in because what we're going to see in these verses is that Paul is stating that the work of the Lord transcends all ethnic, social, and gender barriers. Equality. Inclusion. Belonging. Now, Paul knows the words of the Lord Jesus. At the end of John's gospel, Jesus prayed over his disciples. It's called his, his high priestly prayer in John 17. And Jesus prayed. He said, <clears throat> I don't pray for just these alone, the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their words, that they also may be as one as your father and are in me and I in you. That, that we may be one, that the world may believe that you sent me. Francis Schaeffer said this is um, called the final apologetics. Jesus prayed that the world would believe in him by seeing us in this room unified. He prayed, Lord, I want them to be unified. I want them to be one. And I want the world to see that and then believe in me because of that. So Paul's, this is Paul's heart, and it's his desire and in his final greetings, he, he wants the people to be together and one in Christ. But they were living in a society that was anything but. They were living in a society that was steeped into a caste system. A caste system is a class structure determined by birth. Loosely, it means that in some societies, the opportunities you have access to depend on the family in which you were born. So in the Roman society that Paul lived, you had the, the Caesar at the top. You had all kinds of levels, all the way down to slaves. But there are all kinds of levels. And if you were born into the middle level, you will die in the middle level. You had access to certain things, you, but you didn't have access to others. That's your lot in life. That's who you are. And by the way, that system is still alive and well in our world. In many parts of our world, that is true. And it's still going on. Recently, the New York Times wrote an article talking about Christians in the country of Pakistan. This is today. Um, they make up, Christians make up 1.6% of Pakistan's population. The population is about 200 million, so 1.6%. The Christians in that society are the lowest caste. They have no rights. They have no opportunities. They are shunned. Completely, simply because of the religion or their birth, that they were born into that religion or they've chosen that religion, they are the lowest. And so there are only certain jobs that they are allowed to do. It's the New York Times reporting on this. So if you look in a Pakistan newspaper, there'll be an advertisement for garbage collectors. 
and it'll say something to the effect of, this job is for Christians. We know it. You know it. We're not going to shy around. You don't have any other. You, no one else is going to hire you. So no one else will do this job. So we left this one open to you. A lot of the Christians are forced to work as sweepers. What this means is they work in the sewer, sweeping it out so that it'll flow. They, they interviewed one person named um, Christian who does this, Mr. Eric, but people in that society referred to him derogatorily as Chura, which means dirty. That was his name. That's how they referred to him. And that's what he does every day. And that's what Christians do. They're forced to work in the sewers or collecting garbage. And they develop skin problems, respiratory problems, um, and for some it's lethal. This caste system puts people into categories based on their ethnicity or their religion or the family they were born into. Alive and well in Paul's day. It's alive and well in today's world. And we might think, okay, yeah, but we're, we're in America. We don't have anything like that, right? Um, we, we, land, we live in the land of opportunity. Anybody can rise up or go down. Anybody can do anything. Anyone can rise up to be president, we say. In our sights. We pride ourselves on not being that. But really, do not children born into wealthy families have unbelievable, more, un, so much more privilege and opportunity than others? Do not people who are just born attractive have more doors that open for them and more opportunities? Do we not sometimes look down on people who were born into that family or from that part of the country? I mean, ours may be subtle and it may be informal, but it is alive and well. It's, it creates divisions among people. And the problem is when any of those divisions out there, any of those ways that we separate people into castes or categories, the problem that Paul's addressing is when that comes in here into the church. And in the Roman church, like so many others, it happens. This is what Paul is addressing. The church in Rome was inside the church, was beginning to divide among ethnic, religious, and social lines. They were marginalizing Jewish believers, Jews who were Christians. The Gentiles were marginalizing them. You're not allowed here. You're not allowed at this meal. Or you're looked down of, you are lesser than. Paul's writing and saying, don't do that. We are one in Christ. The, the, the specific instance, and Kirk talked about this a couple weeks ago in Romans 14, is that they would have a meal and the, the Gentile believers were bringing roast pork or whatever they were bringing and they were, it was sacrificed to idols. <coughs> and they knew that that offended the Jews and they were saying that they're weak, they're lesser than. They're not as strong as us. And Paul would have none of this whatsoever. James, in the New Testament, the letter to, of James, he talks about showing no partiality. The example he used was based on economic status, rich and poor. Um, they were showing favoritism to those who were rich. But this same exact teaching and lesson applies to gender, social status, ethnicity. And so... Knowing this, when we read these 16 verses that I just read in Romans, 
we, we have to peer in close because Paul's doing something remarkable here. In these 16 verses, he gives us 27 names. More people are greeted, but 27 are named. 26 of them are in Rome, and Phoebe, who is the first mentioned, she's on her way to Rome. At one glance, the list is incredibly diverse. Scholars have studied these names, and what they discover is it's pretty remarkable. There are Jewish names. There are Gentile names. So this is the church. So that ethnicity cast has been broken down. Jewish names, Gentile names. There are people who have slave names. They were slaves or are slaves. And then there are those that are free. There are people that we know from their name and their position that they had wealth. And then there was also those who were poor. There was married and single. That kind of gathering, that kind of community was unheard of. It was remarkable in that day. Yet you would bring those people from all those different walks of life into one room and have them together. It's remarkable. And Paul says, greet everyone, say hello to everyone. Now, the verb here to greet does not merely mean just greet. Greet. It's not like a, a Presbyterian wave hello. That's not that's it's actually more than that. It's not just a hi, how are you? The verb has the idea of wrapping one's arms around and embracing someone. Paul admonishes them. He says, greet another, one another with a holy kiss. We don't know exactly what a holy kiss was. We do know it would make Presbyterians uncomfortable, but it was a holy kiss. <laughs> greet one another with a holy kiss, Paul says. So what he's saying is, treat them like family. I mean, really treat everybody like their family. Um, he's deconstructing social stratification in the Roman church creating a leveling effect by making all debtors to the grace and mercy of God. We're all in the same boat. No one is favored. No one is better. No one is lesser. Respect everyone. Love everyone. I don't know a lot about construction. Even though our campus is going through great construction right now, I, I don't know a whole lot about it. But, but I do understand the concept of a load-bearing wall. You know a load-bearing wall. Those are walls necessary to hold up the roof and keep the structure from falling in. The problem with an internal load-bearing wall is that whenever you want to do a little remodeling, that's the wall that's always in the way, right? That's the one that the contractor says, sorry, it's load-bearing. That one isn't going to move. You're stuck with it. And so inevitably, load-bearing walls become dividing walls. The church, what Paul teaches is the church is a very unique structure in that it does not have any load-bearing walls. None. Because Jesus Christ holds everything up. He holds everything up. And thus, underneath, there are no divisions whatsoever that separate us in the church. But so often we're tempted in the church to do the very same thing that we see in a caste system or in a celebrity culture. We throw up a few walls, race, political parties, economic classes, theological liberals from conservatives, the righteous from sinners. And we put walls up here 
We forget that there aren't any because Christ is holding all of them. Those walls do not hold up the church of Jesus Christ. And by the way, they can come down anytime we're ready to repent of our sin of dividing the body of Christ. To be in a church means to be in a place where there are no strangers. I, when I was younger, I grew up um, being involved in, immersed in a, a youth ministry that um, had a philosophy in this youth ministry at its core was go into a high school and you want to reach high school kids. Um, and their philosophy was you got to get the key kids. And what they meant by that was if you can just attract the, let's say, quarterback of the football team and one of the cheerleaders and get them to come to your youth group meeting, then they're so popular, they're the popular kids, then everybody else will naturally follow. And so this was the philosophy. You go in, you find the really popular kids, invite them, attract them, and then everything will just follow because who doesn't want to be around popular kids, right? Problems with this. There are problems with this. One big, big problem is in the church, in the kingdom of God, Popularity is defined very, very differently. Very differently. In fact, it's upside down. The other big problem with this is, does it not create another dividing wall? You've just announced who's popular, who has it. And then you're also at the same time saying who does not have it and how it's popular. The other thing you're saying is you... Subtly, what that says is, if you come to Jesus and be a part of this, then you too maybe could be popular. These are wrong assumptions. They're, they're, all, they're, they're just wrong. That's not the way we approach things in the church. Let, 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 me, let me show you this as we peer in a little bit closer to these names that Paul gave us. Notice that Paul doesn't tell us more about these people. I mean, he doesn't say, he could have said, he could have said, listen, I want you to greet Phoebe. Now, greet Phoebe because she is a big deal, really important. Um, she's got a lot of money, big bank account, and you need to know this. She can help the church. You need to know this. You need to know who the deep pockets are. Phoebe's the deep pocket. Really greet her. Big warm welcome. He doesn't say, greet Rufus. As you know, Rufus has great, great gifts. Um, he's the one that you got to really count on. He can make the church thrive. Paul doesn't say, greet Mary. She, you know, Mary, think about it. You guys need to greet her. Really give her a lot of attention because Mary has some property. And you could use that for a church plant, let's say. that. Good to know Mary. I mean, we need to know Mary. He doesn't say, greet Urbanus because his parents are part of the Senate. And boy, they'll be able to open some doors for us. Paul didn't say that about anybody, anybody on this list. These are beloved people. You'd think he'd kind of, no. But here's what he does. And this is what I want to show you up on the screen. Bill's going to put this up on the screen for us. Verse 2, welcome her in the Lord. Verse 3, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. The first convert, convert to Christ. They were in Christ before me. Verse 8, my beloved in the Lord. Verse 9, our fellow worker in Christ, Apelles, who is approved in Christ, greet those in the Lord. Greet those workers in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen 
in the Lord. What was remarkable about every one of these people? What was remarkable was that they were in the Lord. That's what made them remarkable. Nothing else mattered. What made them special and unique, why you need to greet them, is because not of what they've done, not because of any of their accomplishments or wealth or fame or celebrity, or by the way, not because of any of, of their mistakes or the family they were born into. None of those things matter. The only thing that matters, according to Paul, is they are in the Lord. Talk about equity. Talk about inclusion. Belonging? Wow. That's what a community is. People let all that are us that go. Why? Because we're in the Lord. You know, I, I think if, if someone came to our, our new members class at Mountain View and said, hey, listen, gang, I want you to know I'm glad to be here, but I'm kind of a big deal. I got a lot of money. Um, you kind of need to know that. What would we say? Well, I think what we should say is, we're so glad you're here. <laughs> and we're sorry to hear that. <laughs> Because I bet it's hard for you. It might be hard for you to really trust in the Lord and all that he's doing if you, if you have that. Or if someone said, hey, do you all know who I am? I'm kind of a big deal. I'm a celebrity. I mean, you may know, but I've got my own Wikipedia page. And I've got, I don't know. We'd say, we're so glad you're here. You're going to help us. Um, but boy, I bet that's hard. I bet you, are, are you tempted to rely on that fame? Maybe that's harder to trust in the Lord if you have that. See, according to Paul, the only thing we need, the only thing we ultimately have, the only thing that matters is being in the Lord. You know, back in the 1980s, the Los Angeles Dodgers had a pitcher, a real skinny kid by the name of Oral Leonard Quentin Hershiser the fourth. Now, that's not a good name for a pitcher, right? I mean, it's not a scary name at all. Uh, he wasn't a scary guy. He was kind of mild-mannered, stoop-shouldered, pasty-faced, pale kid. He didn't intimidate anybody. He struggled out of the bullpen. It was not an easy time for him when he first started. Um, his pitching was not going too well at all. And then one day, as he was really struggling, the manager, Tommy Lasorda, he came out to the mound to talk to him. And he took him by the shoulders and he shook him. And he said, Oral, you know what I look at? When I look at you, do you know what I see? He said, I don't see a scared, skinny, uncertain kid. I see a fighter. I see a man with some guts with some fire in his belly. I see a bulldog when I look at you. So from now on, I'm not calling you Oral Hershiser the fourth anymore. I'm calling you Bulldog. Now, no one had ever looked at this guy and saw a bulldog before. But Tommy Lasorda did. That was a turning point in Oral's career. He started pitching like a bulldog. Later on, he and Tommy Lasorda referred to that talk as the Sermon on the Mound. <laughs> and do you know that he went on to become a Cy Young Award winner? He had one of the most amazing pitching seasons anyone has ever had. 
perennial all-star, MVP of the League Series, MVP of the, of the World Series. Isn't that a great story? Isn't that a wonderful story? I mean, that is the American dream. That's the American story. Isn't it great? But it's not the gospel. It's not. It's not how Christ's kingdom works. Paul never says, I look at you and I see inside of you a bulldog. I see something wonderful. I see something in there that you're going to strive and you're going to make it and you're going to lift yourself up and you're going to do great things. Paul never says that. In fact, if you've been journeying with us, the beginning of Romans, remember what he told, said about us? It wasn't pretty. None's righteous. None, none of you are bulldogs. None of you. None of you has it inside of you. In fact, you're a mess much more than you realize. We're all a mess. Every one of us. Sin, sin, sin. Remember what Paul was talking about. Inside of you is a, just a complete mess. That was his sermon to us. It wasn't easy to hear that. It isn't easy to hear it. We're all a mess. We all fall short. We're in great debt. There's no bulldog inside of you. But then when we got to Romans 8, Romans 10, Romans 12, he said, but in spite of that, Christ died for you. You are loved, cherished, forgiven. That's the gospel. Not that you have it inside of you. The gospel is, in spite of the mess of your life, Christ loves you. And the danger is, sometimes the American dream and the American story of success and do-it-yourself, sometimes that story seems to get conflated, confused with the gospel. And sometimes we're tempted to bring elements of that story into the gospel and into the church. But they're very different things. You see, what unifies us is not ability. It's not the potential you may have. It's not what you've done, the accomplishments you have, the wealth you have, the personality you have. That doesn't unify us. What unifies the church, what brings equity and belonging and inclusion is the realization that we're all in deep debt. We're all a mess. but we're all loved by Christ. You see, when that happens in a community, we have all these wonderful things. Equity, belonging, inclusion. Let me uh, conclude by, let's just go back for a second to those garbage collectors, the sweepers in Pakistan. How do they do it every day? I mean, how do they get up in the morning and do that? Sweeping the sewer? Knowing that that is the job they will have the rest of their life? There is no opportunity for any other job. I mean, how do they get up every morning when society tells them, you have no worth, you have no value? Every day, they know and understand there's no hope of advancement. How do they work with the knowledge that this is as good as it gets? Well, it's because they're a part of a church community. And in that community, the people are together and united. And they pray for each other. 
And in that community, they are not the lowest caste. They actually, in that community, have seats of honor near the king. And they gather each week, and they sing songs about this great joy. And then they hear a sermon directed to them. It's not the Sermon on the Mound. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And you remember how that sermon started? Jesus said in that sermon, Blessed are the sweepers. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who aren't bulldogs. Blessed are those who know that they need a savior. I have good news for you this morning. You may not be a bulldog, and it may not be inside of you. But guess what? You have something infinitely better. You have the love of God in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for these words. We're so grateful for this church that you've invented and established and started. And uh, Lord, whenever we are tempted to put up dividing walls, may we be reminded of your hope and prayer for the church that we might be one, that all of us together may learn how to love sacrificially each one. And we thank you for this church that you've established and help us to sing and pray and love each other the way that you commanded us to do. Uh, we pray for Christians, our brothers and sisters in Pakistan. We pray that you would be with them this day. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.